Hi, I'm Dan Boyd. I'm Kimmy Zeiler. St. Ignatius of Loyola said, Out of gratitude and love for him, Jesus Christ, we should desire to be reckoned fools. We're seeking to discover Christ in everything, from the banal to the sublime, and this is Fools, fools for, for Christ. Christ. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the show for today. Our special guest, Marcus, is back from last week. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so we don't really have a good title for today's show, but it's kind of just a pop menagerie of all sorts of things going on in the world that we thought were worth talking about to see if in this pool of cultural goings on, we can fish out something that helps us to love God and see him more working in the world. Well, Dan, I think Pop Menagerie sounds like a fantastic title. <laughs> I think um, that will certainly be clickbait for people. That's I know I, I click on that. That's, <laughs> that's what I aim to do, is just be, be uh, clever and, and witty at least once a show. <laughs> uh, so basically, Dan and I were looking at different uh, things that are just coming up in, in movies and film and art um dance even that are um really striking to us as seeming to point to something going on in the culture yes so not that these are the best or deepest examples of uh, good bad evil indifference going on in the world but just they're popular right now and so we figured we'd tackle them yeah so first off, um, Ready Player One. I have to say I haven't seen the movie yet. I realized that just before we started recording. But I did read the book. Um, and it's a popular one right now. I think it was a bestseller. Made a bestseller list. But what was striking to me, it's all about um, this young man who is... Basically, it's the future. And they've created this virtual reality where everyone plugs in. And it's... Um, it's everyone's means of escape, basically. The world has gotten so bad that they prefer to live in this virtual reality rather than their everyday normal life. And so this young man ends up seeking to find um, this hidden Easter egg that's somewhere in this virtual world uh, in order to become the inheritor of the owner of the world's money, and the world itself and all this stuff. Anyway, so obviously he does well on his journey because he's who the book is about. And what's fascinating to me is he becomes so courageous and valiant and honorable in this virtual world. And he makes several statements, at least in the book, about how much of a loser he feels like he is in his real life because he is literally just doing things to become better in the virtual world. And so he's like, hold up. He hasn't seen daylight in months. He's like shaved his head and he, like all he does is live for this virtual world. And what I thought was so beautiful is that at the end, there's this moment where it's almost this recognition of the real being so much more important and how he sees this desire in himself to become courageous and valiant and this hero character um, in the real world <laughs> with these people that he's only encountered virtually, but then to meet them in real life and start a real adventure with them rather than this virtual world. Uh, and I just thought that was so encouraging. 
It is. Yeah. It, I mean, you could you could take this in a very iconoclastic way as saying like the world is in a horrible place and everybody is is soon going to just be living in their parents' basement playing whatever the popular RPG is. But I think it almost works for describing anybody's existence before they recognize or they hear that special calling from the Lord to say, like, leave it all, like, put down your nets and come follow me. Um, like, Peter may have been a great fisherman, and he may have, like, like, built his identity upon that. And then when Jesus called him to something much different, he found what it meant to really live, to, to make a gift of himself to others. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it might be a very valid critique of the the escapism that marks some people's lives. Yeah. Um, but I think it also works for reminding everybody, like, you're made for ultimately something much more than uh, wh- whatever it is you're focusing on. If it is mm-hmm. not God and if it's not serving the church, then it is really just like a simulation and a practice for the real thing. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah. I mean, I don't see it so much as, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what the author intends. I mean, if the author intends that we contrast only the real world with the, with the virtual world and, and find value in, in triumphing in the real world, then, you know, I'm, I'm well, it depends on what you mean by that. You right. know? So um, certainly there is a kind of escapism uh, that can happen when it comes to intellectual pursuits. Uh, you know, I think that the imitation of Christ has aligned to this effect that, you know, that, that, that it's, 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 it's better to experience contrition than to be able to define it. And there's a whole passage <laughs> there about, you know, sort of the emptiness of pursuing God in a purely intellectual way. Um, and, you, you know, but, 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 you could say the same thing about things like, you know, people who find escapism in traveling, perhaps, or, or, in, or in, you know, physical uh, adventures or in risk-seeking, you know, for example, um, you know, what do you, I, 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 the, the, the name of the activity escapes me, but I'm thinking of people who uh, uh, base jump while they're wearing wingsuits. It's, I think it's called wingsuit base jumping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that, those, I mean, I don't, I think wingsuit base jumping is probably a bad idea, uh, regardless, but, 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 but those other things I mentioned can be, uh, just fine, uh, in a life ordered towards the good. Uh, they can represent a kind of, uh, genuine triumph. And I would say the same thing, even of, video games uh, in the context of a rightly ordered life. Um, I'm not a big defender of video games. In practice, I, I, I find that it's not true that a person will find the kind of fulfillment uh, in triumphing in a, in a video game they, that they would in a pursuit in the real world, but I'm not ready on principle necessarily to say that, 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 that that's impossible. Um, I'm sort of reminded of this uh, StarCraft player in South Korea. I forget his real name, but his 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 gamer tag is Marine King, and he's one of the most famous players. And his father wanted him to be a doctor, and so of course he was totally opposed to his son being a, a professional gamer. And I I myself have ambiguous feelings about whether it's a good idea for a person to be a professional video game player, even if they're good enough to do that. Um, 
But eventually his father came around, sort of, and he said to him, well, you can pursue this. You can be a professional gamer if you want. Uh, you can play StarCraft for a living, but you have to be the best in the world. And his son accepted that challenge. And I mean, by by most rankings, he's only ever made it to be the second best in the world. So I I, I don't know if his father ever ever came around to <laughs> something like that. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. But that's, he did pretty well for himself. Yeah. Then. Well, maybe he can keep working at it. That's right. <laughs> so the next big thing we wanted to talk about is the music video. So this was Kimmy's reference to dance. This is America by Childish Gambino. I only ever call him Donald Glover because I, I think I just know him by his actor name. I don't know. I don't even like the, it's kind of a weird stage name. So I'll, I'll just stick with <laughs> Donald Glover. Um, and I, I still don't know how to describe this video. Yeah. Um, but I think the best way of putting it would be that this is America is Donald Glover's attempt to artistically portray the experience of African-Americans in terms of the suffering, the discrimination, the distraction from their current state in the United States of America. And I think there's probably been tons and tons of ink spilled over what even minuscule parts of the video mm -hmm. mean. Like I saw something, even his pants apparently mean something because mm -hmm. he's, uh, I think the pants somebody suspected were supposed to look like Confederate soldier pants. Mm -hmm. um, and he makes faces that are similar to character caricatures of black people going back probably early, early 20th century. Um, and one, I, I became aware of it because one of my students um, came up to me and he was, was a student who's normally very bubbly and happened to be very quiet and pensive. And so I could tell something was going on. So I just started talking with him. And I'd say what I like about the video is its ability to get people to stop and think. Mm -hmm. And there aren't, there isn't enough of that. And so whether or not you, you agree with the content of the video and think it's an accurate portrayal of what I'll call the black experience in America, um, or if you think it's, it's inaccurate, I appreciate that it's actually got people to stop and talk. Yeah. Um, if you're going to go watch it, I would recommend not watching it with any, probably anybody under 16 because there's several murders graphically portrayed in the video. Um, I would say for myself, not only do I like that it causes people to think, but I like that it's drawing attention to the status or rather to an, a minority experience in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I think it's especially being part of a multiracial family and having a minority child. It's important to me that progress continues to be made in terms of race relations. And, and I don't see this as a binary thing, but it like, I want all racial groups, minority and majority to be able to say, I understand why, this thing is important to you, whether that's in terms of a prejudice that you still feel is uh, is used um, or, or depicted or visualized or verbalized um, and without wanting to um, to kind of go too much in the direction of trigger words and, and never let anybody be offended, but at the same time to recognize 
um, like there is a balance here and it doesn't have to be like either you are, uh, you're somebody who ridicules and makes fun of those who say they're constantly offended or you are the one who's always saying like, oops, ouch, you offended me and you triggered me. Um, yeah, I think that's a good thought. I mean, one, one thing that I, uh, well, there was a, a, a student at BC who uh, interviewed me for one of his projects and he asked me what I thought about political correctness and I thought that was a bold thing for a student to ask a, their, their teacher. Uh, but I answered and I, I, I said that, well, you know, um, I think that in many cases, political correctness is a, is a set of good ideas uh, taken too far or that, or that can be taken too far. So I would give, for example, I mean, you mentioned trigger words, trigger warnings. Um, you know, I don't give my students warnings ahead of time that the kinds of classic texts that they're going to be reading uh, include things that they don't believe in. Um, for one, I assume they already anticipate that. These are books that were written many centuries ago, so it, it would be strange if, if the authors held all the same views as uh, people in 2018. Um, but at the same time, there are, well, there, there are kinds of trigger warnings that I can say I would believe in. So, for example, one thing I have my students read is uh, Augustine's Confessions. And one of the things that happens in Augustine's Confessions is that, of course, his, his mother dies. Um, and he describes this in a very deep way. You know, you can, you can really feel the human dimension of his life. And uh, I would just say that, you know, suppose that I knew that one of my students had recently had a parent pass away. Um, I would send them an email ahead of time and let them know this is going to be the readings for this day coming up and you don't have to attend class that day if you don't want to, you know. I think there's a kind of trigger warning that is appropriate and it's, it's, it's the sort that accords with the normal standards of morality. It's not a standard that is concocted around a kind of newfangled ideological norm or, or you know, trying to enforce some kind of uh, conformism of, you know, well, not only do we all think this, but we're not even going to read anything that doesn't agree with this without a prior uh, warning note. Right. Yes. I think it's very different. Yeah. And I do think with This is America, there's an element of um, shock and almost horror that comes out in that watching that. But given the circumstances leading up to this music video being created of the new, just the news of us already being shocked and dismayed at the multiple shootings and uh, things going on in the world right now. Um, I think it almost had the desired effect that you were talking about, Dan, of inspiring conversation about it rather than being shock for shock value only. Um, and so I do think that there is some sort of um, edifying element to that music video, just because it it does inspire that conversation to happen. It does inspire the viewer to think, what does this really mean? Why, why is this important to me? Why is this not important to me? <laughs> Where do I fit in with this? Um, and it inspires that kind of internal tension 
um, which is necessary. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, I mean, one criticism that could not be leveled at This Is America, and there's been a few criticisms of it, but one thing you can't say is you can't say that it's nihilistic. You know, you can't say that the suggestion is, you know, life doesn't matter right. or anything mm -hmm. like that. So it is uh, something that has uh, the potential to inspire, you know, worthwhile conversation for just those reasons that you mentioned. And I would, I would also say what it, what's unique about it is, or fairly unique, there doesn't seem to be finger pointing. I think you, you could argue he, he points fingers at gun owners or, or gun manufacturers, but I think that's only a small part of it. Um, and it, I don't think it's an essential part of what he's trying to say is the black experience with respect to mass shootings. I think that's a, a separate narrative going on. Um, but he's not pointing fingers. I don't think he's trying to say that like, this is like you're to blame or you're to blame. I think yeah. it's just like, Hey, this is, this is what it is. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's somebody's fault. I'm just saying we need to fix it. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. It's not, it's not accusatory. Right. And in that way, it does avoid one of the uh, main problems in sort of the excesses of political correctness, because political correctness is always accusatory. Right. And this is something that it is distinguished from that in this way. Right. And this is um, to kind of jump into something that my wife and I talk about. So my wife is a mental health counselor and we talk about good communication and um, she has taught me and she teaches her clients to not accuse the other when you're trying to express your displeasure or your unhappiness with something, but just to simply state how you feel because that's the, like, you, you're not going to get that wrong. Like mm -hmm. if you understand how you feel, you can relay that to somebody and presumably they love you and that's important to them. Mm -hmm. um, and that allows them to move forward and they're not, they're not trying to deal with his statement that like you did something and that's why I feel this way, but simply I feel this way mm -hmm. and I know you care about me, which is why I'm telling you, help me not feel this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And together let's come up with a solution. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've also noticed, um, in a lot of the really popular TV shows and movies and stuff, there, there's all these dark remakes that are happening right now. Um, like, um, I'll start with a smaller example. The Anne of Green Gables was recently remade, and with an E, which I, I enjoyed it still, but it was so much grimier and darker than... And not that they changed the story at all. It just... Um, it wasn't the happy-go-lucky Anne of Green Gables, yeah. you know? Like, it was just... It had this other vibe to it, which I thought was so fascinating that that's where that show was taken, you know? Um, and I'm not the only one. There's been a lot of other commentary on that as well. Um, but then there's also Riverdale super popular right now, and that is a remake of the Archie comics, which, I mean, those are lighthearted <laughs> comic books. Um, and it's... The TV series is so dark. Uh, it's turned into this murder mystery and um, it is graphic at times and um, some of the characters are very twisted and uh, psychologically messed up. <laughs> it just, um, it's such a darker spin. And, and so the characters themselves are, you know, Betty who's the good girl ends up with this dark side and then Veronica, who's 
you know, assisting her gangster dad ends up being the more moral one. And and so it's this weird twist of um, what's good and what's bad. Right. And that I would say with... It seems like there's a, almost a fascination or a fixation on disproving that people can be good mm-hmm. in some in some forms of art, especially film, and that you take someone who on the surface looks very good, and it's almost it almost might be like a a, sub, a subconscious attack on traditional Christian morality that like oh these people who outwardly look very good on the surface they're actually very or underneath rather they're they're very corrupt. Um, um, I think it's conscious. You do? Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes it is. It, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, it wouldn't be fair to say that it, that it always is, or right. maybe not even in the generality of cases. Yeah, um, and that it, it, it mis- I think it misses, it misunderstands the, the Christian message of redemption, which is not, hooray, we're perfect, but we're sinful, and hooray, we're not going to hell because of it. <laughs> um, and I, well, I think we also need the example of, Sometimes people can be good. Yeah. And I think when we take that example away completely, then we're missing out on elevating the human experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that, 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 that's right. I mean, there there is, I think, this, uh, this drive in our culture, and you see it not only in media, but in many other uh, domains as well, where you see it in politics, for example, uh, in political discourse, uh, where there seems to be a drive to... Take anything that's good and to find bad in it. So, for example, let's say the traditional family. You know, So we will find things that are oppressive within some traditional families and use that to sort of cast a shadow over the whole thing. And on the other hand, we'll find things that are wicked and we'll sort of find good in it. We'll sort of go out of our way to find good in it. So, And, and you'll see the same thing in, in media uh, as you said, so the good character always has some kind of a flaw that makes them not actually good, or there's some kind of an anti-hero. And at the same time, the evil character is really not evil all the way down. There's there there there's something more complicated going on there, and that can be a fine message. But clearly, um, when these kinds of things are overdone, uh, or when they're done consistently throughout the media of a society, it seems like there's a drive to create this enormous gray area. Uh, and that's, of course, where contemporary man feels most comfortable, is, is, is within a gray, amorphous blob. And so that's what our media uh, more or less creates for us to veg out in front of. Yeah, and this is, I think, I don't think any of us think that the main antagonist needs to be this, this cardboard cutout representing mm-hmm. evil and, and not have really good character development. Um, I think Gollum is a, is a great example and yes. that Gollum is clearly the bad guy and it's very easy to be sympathetic for, for Gollum. Um, mm. cause you just feel it. He's, he's pitiful. Mm. He's not pitiful and pitiable. He's not, um, he's not at the same time glorified. Yeah. Um, like, it, and I think that's even in, in superhero movies, whether it's through the use of humor or good looks, like villains are, are glorified. Um, the next uh, example we thought or we wanted to bring up of this kind of growing darkness in both remakes, and I would say media in general, is the series Black Mirror, which is a Netflix original. And I don't think it's 
I don't think they're borrowing any like official media or um, or intellectual property from the Twilight Zone, but it has it definitely has that feel of throwing you for a loop, and then everything is revealed at the end. Um, I'll come out and say, do not watch yeah. any of Black Mirror. Nope. I don't think nope. there's anything worth watching in there. Um, we talked about two episodes. One of them we don't even feel comfortable bringing up yeah. on the air. Um, the one that I watched, um, there's a woman who woke up and was more or less amnesiatic and couldn't remember what happened. And when she walked outside of her house, everybody was standing at the window of their own house filming her with their cell phone. And then she begins to be chased by people who are trying to kill her wearing bizarre masks. So it has almost a, a horror film feel to it. And you, you find out at the end of this episode that she herself is a murderer. And this is what she's been sentenced to, to live through this simulation where she experiences horror after horror after horror. And um, there's, it's a whole nother debate to, um, to explain why, or not a whole nother debate, it's a whole nother show to talk about why that would be a very immoral form of punishment. Um, and not only immoral, but probably not like actually accomplish the, the goal of justice. Um, but what I found most disturbing was that this is billed as entertainment for someone to sit and watch. I think it was about 40 minutes um, to watch 40 minutes of this woman suffer and, and be terrorized mentally and physically. Um, and I, I don't understand for the life of me. So this is a critique of horror movies as well. What the good is in consuming that type of media. Um, so I, I, I don't remember the last time I watched a horror movie. It was definitely in high school. Um, and I didn't like it. And um, I would equate it to almost a, an emotional masochism of deriving pleasure out of doing yourself harm in an emotional way. And I, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's true of all forms of fear. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think the horror genre takes this narrow sliver of the human experience and extrapolates it out of art entirely. And I would say most of the time it seems like any other purpose of art, like uplifting the soul and teaching you, is just relegated to the waste bin. And now it's just this one experience of fear and horror and shock. Um, and then, it, like, they usually, they, they almost always end on a cliffhanger, it seems, or like it, you might be next kind of thing, like the killer's still out there. And so there's, I don't see any, like, intellectual or emotional resolution with these. Um, so I just, I don't like them. <laughs> um, I think, I think it's important to mention when we're talking about Black Mirror. Um, so the other two that I mentioned, Riverdale and with an E, they're dark. There's still goodness to them. There's still, I mean, I watched both of them and I can give my reasons for watching them and feel fine that I watched, them. you know, with Black Mirror, um, the whole reason why I watched one of the episodes was because Netflix told me that I had a 98% chance of liking it. And <laughs> normally they were they're wrong about that. <laughs> very wrong. Um, and I ended up half the episode with my hand over the screen and the volume turned down because I, you know, I couldn't watch yeah. what they were trying. So I actually don't wow. know how graphic it is. I know what the storyline was of that episode, but um, I, I, was struck with this feeling of there has to be a point to this. Yeah. 
that I'm, I'm going to continue giving this a shot because there has to be a point. There has to be a reason why um, I supposedly will like this. <laughs> and there wasn't. Yeah. It, it, there was no solution. There was no this spurring on some order some other sort of drama or sitcom or something that then unraveled later it was really just too horrifying and to yeah create this response like i think the twilight zone is actually trying to make people think and, and uh point out societal problems and i would imagine whoever created black mirror thought they were doing that as well um but they might also have been a have been aware of the reality that they're just horrifying people. And there's some people who enjoy that. Um, but I, I know this is, this is kind of a strong statement and I don't like to, um, to just go, go around criticizing art, um, because I think it's too easy to do that, especially for someone who doesn't really make any art, um, to just be a critic of it. Um, but I think it, it takes away some of the fundamental pieces or components of art and artistic expression and just isolates this one, which is the ability to, um, to cause emotion and then focuses on one emotion and doesn't do anything with that. And I would, I almost feel like it's a little irresponsible for artists to do that. Um, so one, to go back to This Is America, a critique I have is that Donald Glover didn't come out and help anybody understand what this was all about. And I think he actually could have furthered his cause by doing that. Um, so I'd say in, in, in the case of something as, as dark as uh, Black Mirror, if they wanted to justify people watching it, they would have to provide some sort of very clear resolution and understanding that they wanted their audience to gain afterward. Well, I mean, I would say that even in the case, I mean, I, I do agree that there that it, that it is important for art to have a point, although maybe sometimes it's a point that can't really be articulated um, so well as the art can communicate. That's, that's one possibility. Um, but, but even if art does have a point, uh, there is art that still is uh, beyond redemption just because uh, the content is something that, well, let's say the content is pornographic, for example. Uh, so there can't be, you know, I do believe there could be a such thing as Christian rock, although it's usually not any good. Uh, just artistically, it's usually not any good. But there can't be a such thing as Christian porn, right? Like, that's impossible. Right. Um, or, or, I mean, I, I'm using the adjective Christian here. Good media doesn't have to be Christian, but it does have to be uh, something that... Something that helps us along the journey of being a human being in the world, you know? So it has to offer something redeeming something, uh, reinvigorating something, enlightening. You have to be more prepared to face your life afterwards than you were before. And so I think it's just fascinating that this is the turn that movies and film tend to be taking right now. Um, that just we're going into this darker world of entertainment um, almost in the same way that art took a turn to the absurd at the beginning of the modern era just we're seeing we seem to be doing that with our film and tv now as well and just um i think that's a statement of where we are as a society but also um what we need to do as christian <laughs> is to to bring light to that darkness agreed 
Yeah, agreed. And I, I wonder uh, what that looks like uh, in the concrete, you know, so, so there are some folks who want art that is explicitly Christian. I, I, I think there's a place for that, although oftentimes it's made so badly that it's, it's clearly just made for people who have such a sensitive moral sense they won't consume any other kind of art. Um, and that's sort of taking advantage of those people uh, when you when you make bad art uh, for those who uh, you know have a sensitive conscience. Um, but you know, on the other hand, I mean, I've seen many people defend, uh, for example, uh, the Lord of the Rings, which I, which I think is is wonderful. Uh, but 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 folks will defend that kind of media as a means of reaching the culture because after all, Tolkien was a Catholic and and. Uh, when the Lord of the Rings was uh, was revised by him, it, it it was well he he worked in a consciously Catholic way. Um, but even so, I think that in that kind of art, the message might be too subtle. You know, I mean, there's 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 many uh, devoted Lord of the Rings super fans uh, <laughs> who have you know. For whom the the films make no discernible moral difference and and and, and have no discernible pull on them towards let's say uh, assenting to the truth of the gospel, um, so there's something to be said against being overly subtle too. And I, I wonder where the right balance is, or if you've seen anything that uh, anything that you think strikes that balance. Um, well, I think this goes back to having good moral characters present, and I think Lord of the Rings has good moral characters. Um, I think the f the book has more good moral characters than the films do because yeah. the films changed some of those characterizations right. drastically. Um, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think one of the things that we were recognizing is there are so few good moral characters in movies and film right now. And one of the only places we see it is in rom-coms and then it's pretty much invariably the girl who's good and the guy who's flawed and the girl changes the guy, wins him over, and they're happy together, happily ever after. Um, and that's not... Uh, it doesn't seem like that's a substantial enough example of the good to me. I would say if I had to play uh, the, the part of the sociologist, if you want to call it that, and, and try to explain, well, you know, why why is this the case? I would say that you, that you could say that, you know, maybe it's the result of the the death of authentic moral struggle. So nowadays people have an idea of the good, but the good, their notion of it is so thin um, that maybe many filmmakers can't imagine a good, interesting character. You know, so C.S. Lewis once remarked about how... Uh, interesting and, and 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 diverse the saints are about how different they are they all are from each other that as we conform ourselves to christ we don't become more and more like each other we become more and more different from each other and uh and, and, and you can have truly interesting good people and he contrasted that with you know you know all the tyrants of the world are, are the same <laughs> uh so but but i think that i think that Evil carries a fascination with us, and good doesn't, because people aren't sufficiently acquainted with the good. They, they don't have that knowledge by acquaintance, so they don't see how the good can be interesting. Hmm. So I would say that, so going back to your, your kind of practical question on art, I think to, to reacquaint people with the good, any good art serves to do that. And so it doesn't have to be explicitly Christian, but if it is 
if it's truly beautiful, then it still like has a very, very real chance of lifting the soul up to God and reminding them there's meaning in the world. This is, this is not just a, a purposeless struggle after which we die and everybody forgets us, but like the, the story that we're living in called our life is wonderful, if you will. And, um, it's kind of an invitation to begin the journey and an invitation to begin looking for, for more and more of the good. Um, yeah. that doesn't mean it has to be like just rainbows and hot air balloons. Mm. Um, as I think with so many, uh, like, I mean, all sorts of forms of art accomplish wonderfully without being just bright and sunny and happy. No, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, if our vision of the good is uh, something sentimental, then it's too thin for there to be a good story there. Right. You know, but I mean, you could look at it as the good person goes on the hero's journey. And I guess, I guess you can put even a flawed character on the hero's journey, but people can't imagine the life of the saint uh, on the hero's journey, you know? So I would say that, you know, certainly the the biography of St. Francis written by St. Bonaventure gives us this picture of, an incredibly rich character and there's other biographies of St. Francis and you could almost take them. They're so detailed that you can almost just take them and write a novel from them. Um, but we need, we need more stories like that. Interesting, good characters. So we need more saints. There we go. That's right. So, <laughs> that's the, that's the answer to everything. So the, <laughs> the, the challenge for this week is to write a hero's tale about one of the saints. Or to become that saint so that somebody can write it about you. Well, can I just continue writing my novel, Dan? Yes, you can do that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's about all the time we have. Definitely all the time we have. Yes. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Yeah, until next time. God bless you all. Thanks for listening.